So we are in that, uh, looking at Mark chapter 4, verse 26 uh, to verse 29. You should have an outline there that says the mysterious work of God. The poet says God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in the unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Those are the words of the famous hymn by William Cooper. Uh, the words remind us that God acts in ways that puzzles us. Uh, if you have been a follower of Jesus, you already know that, of course. You already know this truth. But that does not necessarily mean that you rejoice in that truth. You are not excited that God puzzles you sometimes. And neither are you always at peace uh, as a result of knowing that. You are praying for two children to come to faith, right? Two of your children to come to faith. God saves one, and the other seems to get worse. And you are quietly left wondering, what is God up to here? Why does he save one and leave the other? You are trying to disciple someone in the church. Uh, you reach out to her, and first it looks very promising, and then they're not interested. Or maybe they even stab you in the back. You are left asking yourself, Lord, why get me involved in discipling someone uh, only to eat a brick wall? Uh, where is that? At? What are you up to with that? Where are you involved in that? Was it just me doing that work or were you really at work through even my failures? Or even being stabbed, backstabbed as it were? Were you involved somehow in that? We invite people to carol services as we did. And people come beating our very low expectation. Somehow it pleases God to send people to come and hear the gospel. And when they come, they listen, and they look very engaged. And I have to say, the preacher is encouraged. He might, even if you had a chat with him, tell you it, has, it was perhaps one of the most attentive audiences he has ever preached to. Afterwards, we pray for their return, that the Lord will bring them back. But of course, first Sunday, we never see them again. We, never, we don't see them. And we ask ourselves... What is God up to there? What is that about? He sends them, then nothing happens. The ways of God puzzles us. It puzzles me, and I'm sure it puzzles you. And sometimes the way God works can make us doubt what God is up to. Uh, sometimes we wonder, what is God really doing here? And sometimes in our doubts, we can even be forced to take matters into our sinful hands rather than look to God. I've had many conversations over Christmas, but I can tell you this, just in the past week, I've had a conversation that related to two people at a church, uh, or different churches actually, that looked at one point like they were following the Lord Jesus, but now, because of the love for the world, they have walked away from the church. They wanted something desperately, in this case it's a, uh, it's a relationship with someone, and they've stopped going to church, period. Stop their walk with Christ, 
period, if it ever began. And that's a danger all of us face, isn't it? We have one expectation about God is ready to do it, and we only see God isn't perhaps giving us what we want uh, or working in ways we expect Him to work. Uh, we stop or we turn our backs on Him or we start doubting Him. We face these dangers as individuals and as a church. And this is why throughout the Bible, God reminds His people that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God works in a mysterious way, in mysterious ways. And God continues to remind us of this truth because God wants his children to be confident that no matter how things look, God is working to build his kingdom in Jesus for his glory and guess what? For our good as well. And I think there's no passage that communicates this better than the passage we are looking at this evening. Uh, In Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to verse 29, Jesus here tells this parable that communicates this important truth. Now, the key to understanding this parable, as I said before, parables, everybody spins them the way they want. So we need to ask ourselves, when we come to the parable, what is Jesus saying here? What is the context of the parable? Uh, what does the words in the parable actually mean? And how do they, they anchor to the broad context of the Gospel of Mark? In this case, this parable is straightforward, actually, because the key to understanding this parable is verse 26. It says this, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So it's clear that this parable is actually about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God in Jesus. As we go through Mark, we know that Jesus is the kingdom of God appearing in person. And so in this parable, what Jesus is saying is that this parable is God's work through him. That means when we come to this parable, the first thing we need to ask is, what does this tell us about Jesus? And then we need to ask, what does this tell us about his work in the church? And then what does it tell us about his work as individuals? That's the threefold application as we go through this parable. And I think there are three truths, as it turns out, in this parable that Jesus wants us to know about how God is working in him to establish his kingdom. The first thing is this, that God is working in ways we cannot see. God is working in ways we cannot see. Notice here in verse 26 that Jesus paints a picture of a farmer who goes off to work and did you notice something? The farmer sows the seed in the ground. We've seen that before. And then here's the surprise. He unexpectedly takes his hands off. There's no watering of the plant. He just leaves it there. Let's read verse 26. And verse 27, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The first thing I want you to see is that that the farmer has sown the seed, right? And while the farmer is waiting for the result, the seed grows automatically and steadily without the farmer knowing much about it. That's the key, verse 27. 
He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Now the point here is that the farmer does not know how the seed is growing. Why? Because it is all taking place hidden in the soil underneath, where he cannot see. Now this might shock you. The farmer represents Jesus here. He is the sower who is sowing the word of God to sinners. And he is inviting them to be part of his kingdom through his work. That immediately puzzles us, doesn't it? The interpretation perhaps surprises you. You may have had sermons on this that perhaps assumes something else. Why would Jesus need to sleep and rise like this farmer? And how can we really say the farmer is Jesus if there are things he doesn't know? These are questions that I'm hoping you're asking already. Because as we go through Mark, as we said this morning, we must be asking these questions so we learn the book together. Well, the thing is this. The routine of sleep and rising is a picture of Jesus. God the Son. Because it is telling us that Jesus is waiting on God the Spirit to bring fruit to his work on earth. So understanding the uh, the Trinitarian relationship here in the incarnation is the key. Here, Jesus does not know how the growth is happening. Why? Because although Jesus is fully God, he is doing his work fully dependent on God the Spirit. Jesus in his humanity is waiting on God the Spirit to take the preaching of his word and apply it to the hearts of his ears. That's so vital you get that. He has emptied it himself. And even in the realm of preaching, Jesus is preaching by faith. Jesus is living his life as one of us, by faith in God, not by sight. Jesus is living and serving by faith. He's waiting and trusting in God. Hebrews chapter 2, if you turn there, verse 11 to 13 says this. And this concerns Jesus, what he says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of, my, of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, this is Jesus speaking, I will sing your praise. Now listen to this, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. This is Jesus putting his trust in God. And he goes on to say, and behold, I and the children God has given me. The same trust I have in God is the same trust I will give my children to have in God. So we see that throughout the scriptures, we flick back to Mark chapter 4, verse 26, 29. It is vital we understand that Jesus is living and doing his work as fully man, even though he's fully God. He's depending on God throughout. Now, far from demeaning Jesus, the fact that Jesus is living and serving God by faith, not by sight, should fill us with great thanks to him. We should be thankful to God we have such a great Savior who has freely chosen to live by faith for us. Why? Because Jesus is doing this for our benefit. 
If Jesus, put it this way, if Jesus does not live by faith in God, then his perfect life and service before God cannot save you. Do you get that? Jesus has to live his life as fully human by faith in God in order for you to be saved. Because it's not just the death of Jesus that saves you. His perfect life is, must be reckoned to your account. The parable paints a wonderful picture of the surrender of Jesus to God. In life, but also in his death for our sins. As I thought about what's going on here, I thought Jesus is not just surrendering in his work. I thought about that moment in Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Then I thought about the cross. I thought at that point Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for three days. Praise the Lord, God raises him up. Because in death, he surrenders completely to God. If, Jesus, if God won't raise Jesus, Jesus won't rise. But God did. And Jesus rose. Now in the wonder of the Trinity, the Bible tells us three things. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible tells us that God raised the Father, raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible also tells us God the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. I'll leave you to say the scriptures. The Bible also says Jesus raised himself from the dead. And of course all three truths are true because Jesus as God, of course, raises himself from the dead. But in understanding how the two natures of Christ are related to one another, we must understand that Jesus the man dies on the cross for our sins and God raises him up from the dead. The point I'm making here is the complete surrender of Christ. And it's that wonderful picture we have here of his faith, living as a man, living in faith before God. What amazing love Jesus has for us. He who is fully God put on our full humanity, not half of it, but full, and he learned, as the scripture says, to trust the mysterious ways of God. He learned obedience through what he suffered. The writer to the Hebrews said, and the amazing thing as we look at this parable is that just as God worked through Jesus in ways that in his humanity he could not always see but trusted in God, God is at work in his church today in ways we cannot see. When we put out flyers, evangelize, and the word of God seems to land on deaf ears, we may wonder whether we are just wasting our time. There are times when I've gone to the bro, I'm thinking, how are we just wasting our time with this here? When a person visits us and you, you open your arms to them and you welcome them in, in your house and you love them and show them love and care and they disappear without saying a word, right? They're even rude as they disappear. I think it's tempting for us to say, next time, I just won't do it. You know, the next person who comes through those doors, I'm just going to or tax so I don't get hurt. It's very easy for us to do that. Or when you're praying for your husband to be converted and he's just getting worse and worse, it is actually tempting to stop praying. I think I've prayed enough, I've fasted enough on this one, I'll just stop. When you're battling against an illness that just gives you no respite to do what others do, 
You long to do more for God, but you can't. It's very easy for you to start feeling, well, I'm just a second-class Christian, you know. I can't really do what others do. Beloved, when we feel like this, the devil actually does something. He comes to us, doesn't he? We all know this. He senses the opportunity and he, he comes to us and he whispers, you know what? Your life is too difficult for God. For the Christians in China, it's easy for God. But for you here, what's going on with you? This is too difficult. God can't answer your prayer. God can't deal with this issue. He cannot help you on this one. You are on your own. Beloved, those are the lies from Satan. Because our Lord Jesus is telling us here in this parable, do not despair. God is working in ways you cannot see. So stay hopeful. Stay prayerful. Stay trusting in God. And beloved, don't keep looking at the signs. Trust in God. Because no matter how much we begin to see whether, you know, is this person being saved, we cannot discern the ways of God. Because the work may be taking underneath the ground where we can't see. So one, the first thing Jesus wants us to understand from this is that God is working in ways we cannot see, and therefore we must just let him get on with it. The second truth Jesus wants us to see here is that God is working through ordinary ways. God is working through ordinary ways. Did you notice something about this seed here? That the farmer has planted his seed, he has surrendered to God to make the plant grow, and now we are told in verse 28 how the plant actually grows. Look at verse 28. The earth, that is the ground, produces by itself first a blade, whatever that is, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. Right? If you were to summarize this verse in one word, how it's growing, what word would you use, I wonder? For me, the only word is ordinary. There is nothing magical about what's happening. This is just what you expect. It's ordinary. It's growing gradually and naturally over time. This is not Jack and the beanstalk. This is taking time, right? And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. God is building his kingdom through in Jesus slowly and in orderly fashion. And this is actually how God has been working since Pentecost. Now, there has been time in the history of the church at Pentecost and amazing revivals when God has come in power and drastically changed the order of things. Revivals do happen. And we say we've seen it in China, and we just the gospel breaks in, and all of a sudden millions are saved. And we revivals do happen, and we should pray for them. But the normal way in which God works is through slow and steady growth. And this should give you food for thought, both as a church, but also as individuals. Because if you're a parent, you know that your child does not like waiting, right? <laughs> the last thing a child wants is to hear, not now. In fact, as parents, we become good at crafty ways of saying that, not now, in different ways. So it's something like, it's not quite going to happen. We're going to do that tomorrow, right? <laughs> so we find ingenious ways of deferring what they're asking. 
But when they ask, they can sometimes feel very angry, can't they? They, they can feel very frustrated. You know this is a parent. The amazing thing is that when we, as we are growing up from infants to adults, this instant desire for results actually stays with us. There's a sense in which we never stop being kids. We still desire that. Now, we don't show the anger as much, but we still feel frustrated when things don't happen to our pace. And to make it worse, we are now living in a rapidly uh, technological society of instant uh, Twitter and, and Instagram, and, and we want things now. You know, if you, wanna, if you want food, just get on the Uber Eats or something, or if you want to jump on a taxi, you don't have to wait. We live for instant results now. This means all of us in our, in our lives, in our marriages, in our church, in our, in, in our work, all of us want rapid and faster success. And in church, we want to see dramatic testimonies of changed lives. It's amazing, of course, when I, go to, when I look at Christian television and you flick to some of these satellite channels, that's what it's all about, dramatic testimonies. Because that's tapping into the culture, that's what the culture wants to see. But friends, that's not how God works. We don't even have to debate that because Jesus himself is telling us here how the kingdom of God works. Jesus is saying that God works on a very different timetable. In God's mind, the normal way is gradual and steady growth. Small steps. Sure steps. The problem is that we don't realize this. So we struggle to appreciate God's work. So you find that in the church, it's very easy for us to give up on people who are making very tiny progress and they are so still such a mess. We struggle to see the little progress. We become impatient. Because in our minds, they should grow much faster. There may be signs of life, but we become impatient with them. The same thing is true in our marriages, isn't it? Our wives and spouses may be growing over time, but, but we want to see them grow fast and we can become impatient in marriages. And we can mistreat one another as a result. But we need to recognize that God's work in our lives is slow and steady. And because we feel impatient, we, we, we can really, because we want fast things, we can become impatient. We can feel like God's working too slow. But God wants to show us here that he's not working too slow. This is how it works. And you know what? This is also the case for your life as well. If you are trusting in Jesus, most of God's work in your individual life and ministry is not going to be spectacular. It's going to be ordinary. If it's through the chats you have with people. Rather than say through amazing things, you go there, evangelize, and you see ten souls served. And what it also means particularly is that God is working through the ordinary means that is given you in the church. Many of us as Christians, we want a 10-point program for success. But God's work in the church is through what we call the ordinary means of grace. What are these? The word of God being preached and studied. Prayer, the Lord's Supper, and baptism, and fellowship. These five things are the way God has ordained to grow you. Now... I don't fully know how each of these means of grace helps the church grow together or individually. 
I can, I can tell you what I think, but I don't fully know. And it's very easy to see. Take the Lord's Supper, for example. Maybe Brother Michael might know, but I, I don't, I mean, I can see aspects of the Lord's Supper. We sit together. We, 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 the Lord Jesus is present with us. But there are ways in which the Lord's Supper is, is almost beyond our understanding. And we can't really know how God uses the word Lord's Supper relative to baptism or relative to, uh, to other means of grace like general fellowship and so forth. But what I do know is that taking the Lord's Supper grows you as a believer. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. It tells me this is the means of grace that he has ordained to grow you. I don't know how prayer grows us as a church or you as an individual, but I know you cannot grow without prayer. This church will never grow until it becomes a truly praying church. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. That's why God commands us to pray. So what this is telling me is that I don't have to know how each of these means of grace Ah, what I need to do is to trust what God is doing through the means of grace. So my question to you is this. Do you want us as a fellowship to grow in a healthy way? Okay? I don't mean just sort of opening the doors and get all sorts of people in, blah, 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 etc. Meaningless membership. No, but in a healthy, slow, steady way. Do you want us to, do you want us to grow like that? And most importantly, do you want to grow in your walk with Jesus? Well, the answer should be yes to both questions if you are truly converted. If you are truly converted and you've come to true faith in Jesus, you want the church to grow. Now, I have been at a church meeting, not in this church, somewhere else, where we had a meeting about how we should grow as a church. Right? Through the means of grace, of course. And one of the ladies there said, no, 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 no. Chola, look, I want a small church. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is a church I grew in was small, and I want us to keep it small. A professing Christian. I'm not talking about that, right? Or allegedly professing. I'm not talking about that. A true converted believer wants God's church to grow, right? And they also want themselves to grow. So the question I would want to ask you then, if that's the case, is examine yourself in these issues carefully. Because these five means of grace are the means to which God has ordained. So if we take the area of fellowship, fellowshipping together, meeting together under God's word, just general fellowship, you have to ask yourself, in what sense are you fostering fellowship in the life of the church? Are you actively opening up your homes? Are you actively meeting up with people, deepening the fellowship in the church? Because that is how the church will grow. That is how you as a believer will grow. God has already lavished on you the ordinary grace of preaching. Do you take this preaching as a gift from God to you? In that case, you have to ask yourself, are you prioritizing sitting under the preaching of his word morning and evening and making effort at least to catch up on the Bible study when you can? And of course, we're making changes in the life of the church to encourage you in that. 
more Bible studies, Lord. Because why are we doing that? Because that is how Christians grow, through sitting under the Word. We are looking at what is the ideal time uh, for us to meet on Sundays, particularly with those who have children, so that it is easier. Because why are we doing that? Why are we looking at the changes of these times? Because that is how God's people grow, through sitting under God's Word. Do you accept the Lord's Supper is a gift of grace from God for you to grow? If you do, then, as we enter 2019, let us make it a priority to be there. I don't mean just Sunday morning, but Sunday evening as well. Now, again, in that area, we must do what we can to help. And one of the things we are trying to do to help is to think about that communion, perhaps, with a new time, can be held after the evening service. So these are things that you have to ask yourself because there's five means of grace, and we can go through all of them. They are important to ask yourself because if this is the way God's people grow, then we have to ask ourselves, do I make these things a priority? And the wonderful thing is that you have an assurance here, don't you? That what Jesus is teaching us here is that God is not after the spectacular. You prioritize the means of grace, you will grow. Now, just a footnote. And of course, as a church, together, we must constantly ask ourselves, as members of the church, we must ask ourselves, what sort of growth do we want? We want slow, steady, healthy growth. Not abnormal growth. And through adding people to the life of the church, gradually, who understand Jesus, who are truly converted, then the church will grow in the long term. And that means we must be, that for me means that we must be deliberate in checking those we are adding to our membership. No, we are not trying to add theologians, just people who are genuinely converted. Because we make a mistake if we just add people because historically they've been connected to the church or for whatever reason the church is in close proximity to them. This is amazing, isn't it, what the Lord is telling us here? Because he's giving us a template for how he likes to see the church grow and for us as individuals. And he's saying if we use the means he's given us, we will grow as a healthy church and individually for the glory of God. And this brings us to the final point this evening. So God is working in ways we cannot see. And secondly, God is working through ordinary words. Well, just a final quick point I just want to make is that God is working for unstoppable success. Unstoppable success. Look at this farmer. The farmer has planted seed, the Lord Jesus. He's been waiting patiently as the seed grows gradually. Now it is ripe for harvest. Look at verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once it puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We can spend the whole evening on that verse because we have a wonderful picture of the Trinity here. Jesus initiates the kingdom, right? God the Spirit works to grow it underneath. He's been sent by the Father. And then Jesus comes to reap the harvest. Amazing. We can reflect on that, but the point I just want to make here is that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. Jesus is saying that one day it will produce a bountiful harvest. And Jesus will have his reward. 
Mark chapter 13, verse 24 to 27. We'll look at this uh, later on next year. Uh, Mark 13, 24 to 27 says this. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Simply put, Jesus is coming at the end of the age to reap the harvest, well, to reap the harvest from the seed he has sown. He is the hard-working farmer who will come and get his reward. And now Jesus, in his humanity, war on earth, remember, did not know when the harvest of the elect will be. He says no one knows except the Father. In his humanity. But he has always been ready to return. I was so comforted when I read verse 29. Because verse 29 says, but when the grain is ripe, at the right time, at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That is so important we understand that in his humanity he may not have known, but he's always been ready. As soon as God the Father says the work is now done, Jesus will appear for the second time. So Jesus is impressing us his readiness because the key word there is at once. Did you notice that in verse 29? At once. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. Jesus has always been ready to come for you and I. Such is his desire for the elect. And when the Lord comes, what a sight it will be. What a sight it will be when Jesus appears from heaven to harvest his elect. Those he chose before the foundation of the world. Many of you I know have seen such beautiful sights in your lifetime. Faces of your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. You have seen beautiful landscapes, coasts, islands, sunsets, and all kinds of beauty. But none of that will compare to that day when we see Jesus face to face. In all his glory and splendor, when we enter the new heaven, the new earth, where righteousness dwells. The work of God is mysterious, isn't it? Sometimes it puzzles us. But a wonderful part of this puzzle is that we are headed for unstoppable success. Why? Well, because God the Son has initiated the kingdom of God, that God the Spirit is growing, as I said, and that God the Father wants to present the kingdom as a gift to His Son. That's the mystery of the church. The mystery of the church is that ultimately it is a gift God is making for Jesus. We ask, what is a gift worth for God? And God answers, a gift crafted by him, the church, for his son. So beloved, let this truth sink in. If you are in Jesus, you are part of this unstoppable kingdom. This is our hope of our lives. The church of God. Sometimes in our work for God, we are tempted to lose heart. I'm tempted to lose heart. We start wondering, oh Lord, I'm just too small. We are weak. Oh, we are all alone, struggling here. 
in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes it feels, especially it feels like that. We wonder whether all our prayers for our children are making a difference. Whether all our prayers for the lost around us is making a difference. We wonder whether those times we're spending with people over coffee, investing our lives with them, one day just be snatched away by Satan. Is it all just worthless? And the Bible says, no, it's not worthless. When we feel like that, we must remember we are part of a wider, exciting global story of grace. Success in Jesus is guaranteed. We are together one church, marching with our heavenly champion until he is fully exalted. Our story is ongoing. It is gradual and in many ways ordinary. But God knows, as he says in his word, that mysterious work is preparing us for an eternal work, an eternal weight of glory. It may look ordinary, it may sometimes take ages, but it is the work of God in Jesus through us. And it will ultimately be complete when Jesus comes in glory. Because God is building his kingdom in Jesus for his glory and our good. So if we truly belong to him, let us let him do it. And this is a main application. <laughs> Just get out of the way and let him do it. Let him do it in the way he wants to do it, in ways you cannot see, in ordinary ways, and for that unstoppable success. Until he finishes it. Amen.